Romans chapter 11, beginning at verse 25. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters. I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Chapter 11 has a switching from uh, this 10 chapter long address essentially to the Jewish Christian community, more or less Jewish Christian community in, in Rome. To the Gentile portion of the church, the Gentile Christian portion. He begins that in verse 13 of chapter 11 where he says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. And he makes this argument with regards to the Jews. Having argued and argued and argued with the Jewish Christians that the Gentile Christians can come into the family of faith. They can be a part of the covenant community and not stop being Gentiles. They don't have to become Jews in order to be Christians. Having argued with them that it is the same basis, salvation comes on the same basis for Gentiles as for, for Jews, comes by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, that it is not good works that establishes salvation, that righteousness comes from God by grace through faith and not by anything that we do. And it is God's righteousness that we are to attain, not that we are to build our own righteousness. Having argued multiple different ways that the, the father of faith is Abraham and the Gentiles have Abraham as well as the Jewish Christians have Abraham as the father of faith, having argued again and again in multiple different ways from multiple different sides, he then switches, looks at the Gentile Christians and starts to say, don't get too puffed up, don't get too excited, don't think yourself better than you are. Just because a portion of the Jewish people have been hardened doesn't mean that they will all be completely cut off. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want to, you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I may be accused time and time again by my Jewish brethren and sistren of devaluing what it means to be a Jew, but Christ came from Israel. Christ is a Jew. He brings deliverance. And my people, the Jews, Israel have been hardened in part to make room for you Gentiles. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. That's interesting. They are enemies of God for your sake. What verse are you on? 28. 
As regards the gospel, as regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. The Israelites were God's chosen people, chosen to bring forth the word of God on earth, chosen to reflect God's will on earth, chosen to be a beacon, a light on a hill, chosen to be the source from which the Messiah would come, the Deliverer, the Christ, the Son of God, the Deliverer of the world. That's a very special and important role and job and people. And while they may have been hardened for a time and for a season and for a purpose, it's not eternally. They may be enemies of God as regard to the gospel, i.e. those who reject it reject the gospel and thereby are enemies of God in that respect. But as regards election, God's choice of them, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. That version doesn't have God in that verse 28. I just look at the King James. It doesn't have it there either. It's not in the Greek as well. It's concerning the gospel. Well, they are enemies. For your sake. What about 29? For whose gifts are they talking about? Well, 29, yeah, but... Okay. Well, but it's from 29 yeah. that sure, the, the conclusion that who are they enemies of? They are enemies of the gospel, i.e., therefore God. Mm -hmm. it's, it, and that's drawn also from 29. 30. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Mm -hmm. They're enemies of the gospel, who, who for is? sure. Huh? Who, who are you saying are enemies of the Jews? And so all Israel will be saved, verse 26. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's another reference for Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Both references are quotations from the Old Testament, but they are direct references to Israel. As regards the gospel, they are enemies. I'm going to strike of God there. I understand they what they mean. They are enemies for your sake. So they, all of Israel, are enemies for you, for your sake, the Jews' sake? They are enemies for your sake. He's writing here to the Gentiles. Remember, he has shifted his focus at verse 13 of chapter okay. 11 from Jewish Christians to Gentile Christians. He's now talking to the Gentile Christians in the church. And he is telling them that the Jews haven't been lopped off and thrown away forever. Don't you get puffed up and think you're something super special because the Jews are chopped off to make room for you. Yeah, the, con so the, the commentary says temporarily. That really yes. When you say that. Temp exactly. Temporarily. Well, that's very clear from what has gone before yeah. in, ver in, in verses 17 and following of chapter 11. Well, what's he saying when he's saying be afraid? Don't be puffed up. Don't be arrogant. Be afraid. Why, why does he say be afraid? Be afraid of being arrogant? It doesn't make sense. Who's he, who, the, who are they supposed to be afraid of? Do not be arrogant, but be mine says be afraid. In where? What verse? 20. Right before 21. Oh. The last word before 21. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand only through faith. 
that could be pointed this out. This one says, so do not Calvinist. become proud, but stand So in do awe. not become proud, stand but stand in awe. In awe. That's, that, makes a yeah. sense. that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Except that in Greek, it says <laughs> phobu. Phobo is the Greek word from which we get the word in English, phobia. Uh, it means fear, but it means awesome fear, respectful fear. Not, but um, like a reverent type of fear. Um, the bowing kind of fear. Um, not the kind of fear for, with which you, you're afraid of Count Dracula, but the kind of fear with which you... You, you approach the throne of God. I thought he might be saying that it's so, you know, you're just barely up here and your branch could break off. That is part of the concept. Stand in awe. The very fact that you are grafted in is a miracle. Uh-huh. The and very fact you are grafted in is an amazing miracle. That means that you shouldn't be bragging about it. You're standing by faith and faith alone. Calvinists should pay attention to that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, nothing that they've done. It's not anything that they've done. It is faith that is the basis for their being grafted in. And therefore you should stand in awe. Don't become proud of that. For, verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. I mean, you know, something else may come up here in the future. We don't know about it, but God does. Something else may come up in the future that will require that you be chopped off. Make room for somebody else. Especially if you don't have faith. That's kind of the implied statement here. So he's talking here to the Gentile Christians, some of whom have been kind of puffed up and proud. And this is something he's also encountered in some of his churches in Asia Minor. Gentile Christians who have uh, uh, really and truly been proud and arrogant relative to the Jews, the Jewish Christians saying, look at us. We don't have to abide by the dietary regulations. We are free, and we can do whatever we want. And, you know, grab that ham and cheese sandwich and yeah, eat it in their face. It's kind of, kind of bit, yeah. And he's saying, no. 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 That's what he's saying here. Do not, you, so that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. And back to 25 again. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until, they, until, until, which of course means that there will be a change in this, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, and so then, implied, all Israel will be saved. Because they are chosen, God's children, chosen to be a light to the world, the source from whom the Messiah would come, the deliverer of the world, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. For David and Solomon, Abraham and Sarah, the whole, the whole line. Even the nasty ones, Jacob. Yeah. For, why? Because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God has chosen them to be his children. And that's it. That's it. 
The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. That's sometimes yanked out of context and quoted. Yeah. Uh, You've got to be careful about that. Need to need to reference it within context. If God has called you and chosen you and directed you, then while aspects of the calling might shift and change and modify over time, in fact it will, the very fact that you are called doesn't change. The result may change. Its application and implication may change. But the reality doesn't change. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. I mean, you Gentiles, you were pagan-worshipping fiends. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, because of their disobedience, you got to hear the gospel. So they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. Because you have gotten mercy, because you have received mercy, they're going to receive mercy. Sounds an awful lot like the, um, talking to the, the section of Israel that was the unfaithful sister. Mm -hmm. and, and interesting back here in verse um, 26 when he says, so that all Israel shall be saved. The Jews are just a portion of that right. Israel. And it's interesting how it's now flipping. Multiple layers and meanings for Israel. Israel is the total people of God. There's a metaphorical meaning in that, by the way. I.e., the church is metaphorically the Israel of God. Um, the people of God, whoever the people of God are, are the Israel of God. Right? Israel means what? Man with influence or power with God. Hence, the Israel of God are the people of God. Those who have a... Re Another way to say that would be those who are in a position to have a relationship with God. That's the Israel of God, Yisrael. And that was what Jacob's name was changed to. And there's the Israel, the biblical Old Testament, Genesis Israel. There's the... The Israel of the history of the people where the kingdom was a split north and south and you have the kingdom of Israel in the north made up of the ten tribes and the kingdom of Judah in the south made up of the two tribes and the half tribe of Levi. Uh, you've, got the, you've got the landless tribe of Levi. You've got the, the, the people in the north being scattered and then you have the identity, those who are recognized as the Israel of God being therefore returned back to just... Judah, but not limited only to Judah. Now, in the church, because you can be Israel of God and not be Judah. And then there's the question, what about those who were scattered? Aren't they still Israel of God in a sense because of ancestry, if not because of faith or obedience? And all Israel, part, is, part of Israel is being hardened against the gospel Part of Israel has accepted the gospel. And now the part that has been hardened will be brought in. Now that the part that has been hardened will be brought in. Just as you have once, just as you were once disobedient to God, but 
have now received mercy because of their disobedience. The, the, in this case, specifically the Jews' disobedience. But you could even say, but because of the disobedience of all of the Hebrew people, going all the way back, and the, the whole massive story of the Hebrew people and the relationship with God and their failures, which resulted in eventually the birth of Messiah. And then the rejection of the, Israel, the Hebrew people of the Messiah. All of that is part of their disobedience. Just, just as you were once disobedient to God when you were a pagan, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. You were disobedient. Their disobedience allowed you to hear the gospel. You have received it. You have received mercy. Now that you have received mercy, even though you were once disobedient, you have received mercy. You have heard the gospel. You are now part of Israel. Now they too will receive mercy. Almost in response to your having received it. And as he says earlier, you know, they got jealous about it. Some of those Jews got really ticked off that these Gentiles are getting in so easily. It's one of the reasons why Paul had so much trouble. It's also probably a big chunk of the reason why he got arrested in Jerusalem and had to appeal to the emperor to save his neck. But that's yet to happen in his timeline. So they have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may, may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned them. All in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. For, for God has shut up, actually, all in disobedience, so that he may be merciful to all. It doesn't matter. Jews have been disobedient. Israelites who were scattered were disobedient. You were disobedient. <laughs> all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. To quote Isaiah. This one says, For God hath shut up all together in a refusal to yield, <clears throat> in order that upon all he may bestow mercy. <clears throat> it's another way of saying all are sinners. No one merits the mercy, no one deserves the forgiveness. It comes as a free gift to all who receive it, period. You don't deserve it, you can't earn it. No group is more worthy than... Right. That's exactly correct. And then he moves into this doxology at the end of this section. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You expect to see her an organ playing there. And, and, and all. I mean, it's quite a, quite a doxology. And he'll, he periodically, Paul periodically launches into these little raptures of doxology. And it probably reflects some of the church hymnody of the time. Some of the church worship proclamation and praise at the time. That is definitely a doxology. It's almost like after he recounts the history in a real summary form, mm -hmm. he's overwhelmed himself on how incredible 
God was with all the little intricate pieces, piecing it all together to work out in such a great way that we can't even understand it. He spends half a chapter talking to the Gentile Christians. The group to whom he is an apostle. And in it, he's simply telling and reminding them, look, you Gentile Christians, you're a part of the Israel of God now. You're a part of the family of God. The part of the family of God that was lopped off because of their denial and refusal, they're not going to stay gone forever. They're not going to stay gone forever. They have a place here, so don't you be too puffed up. Don't you be too proud of being part of the Israel of God because they're coming back. Uh, they were disobedient so you could get mercy. Now because you have received mercy, they're going to get mercy. Everybody merits punishment. No one deserves mercy, but all receive it. All who, re who, all who receive it, receive it from God. By God's grace. And the only requirement is that you have faith in That you stand in faith, as he says earlier here in, in uh, 11, 17 through 24, that you persevere or stand in faith. Verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief, lack of faith, apistis. But you stand only through pistis, through faith. Not works, not efforts, not being righteous, not being good, none of that. No, faith. It still sounds like you're, you know, he keeps giving out these get out of jail free cards, and he's telling them. My messenger Paul is telling you this is a get out of jail free card, but I'm not hearing him clearly say that the Gentiles are chosen. It's almost like the Jews have got. Several get out of jail free cards. No. They always have. Well, they have, yeah. They are, the, they, are, they are amongst God's chosen people. Exactly. And I'm not hearing them say the Gentiles are chosen at all. They are chosen. They are part of the elect, those whom God foreknows. He, they are who, um, those whom God foreknows, God chooses to be a part of the family. And it's that foreknowledge upon which the election occurs. And it's foreknowledge, as we found out several chapters ago, foreknowledge of their faith. Hence, those Gentiles who exercise faith are, are chosen. Yeah, but he's not, when he's talking in this half chapter, where he's been talking about mm -hmm. all those nasty Jews before, in this half chapter, I don't hear him saying, and that's what I kept waiting for. What? Maybe it's between the lines. You guys are chosen too. Um, Thank you, John Calvin, back there in, you know, in 22. But uh, in verse 20 and 22, that kind of action. But I'm not hearing him say, you guys are chosen. You got it. Well, you know, you're chosen if you receive it. Just exactly what Linda said. You're getting the mercy anyway the first time, though, I think. Aren't you getting mercy from God? Aren't the Gentiles getting mercy from God before they have received God? Mm -hmm. And before Are you they asking, paid. do they have a second chance like the Jews do? I don't think they have as many ch second chances as the Jews okay. do. I think that, that's what I keep waiting for. No, nope, the Jews are chosen there. <laughs> they keep making these mistakes. They keep making well, these mistakes. we've said over and over and over again, but... You gotta remember, we're, are you talking individualistically or as a community of people? 
because this yeah. is talking about groups, not individuals. Okay. This is talking about masses of people, not individuals. But that's even worse because that's ethnic. No. You know, you got your ethnic choice of your, your chosen people, well, yeah. which we all accept. And you're, and thank you. And everybody else, but of the every, everybody else, is both people are going to get shown mercy. These people have already been shown mercy about, you know, once every ten years, once a decade minimum. Well, look back. Big let's let's step. Let's step back to the point where Israel and Judah were both were split apart into two different, two different nations. And then the Northern Kingdom, Israel, was punished for their idolatry by divorce. God divorces them and has them carted off by the Assyrians away because of their idolatry, because of their worship of the Assyrian gods. The southern kingdom got extra mercy. They weren't divorced. They were put away. They were... They, uh, they, God and God and Judah lived in separate houses for a while. You might yeah. say um, they were sent off into captivity in Babylon, not divorced, but sent away from the Holy Land, sent away from the Mount of God, sent away from Mount Moriah, from the site of the temple, from the lands that they had been given in order to punish them, but not divorced. God didn't say, you are no longer my people. Okay. He said, not my people, to the northern kingdom. He said, you will be known as not my mm -hmm. people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's essentially the same thing. But then he also goes on and says later on, that wherever you place, are settled to, you will be you will called be. sons or, and daughters of God. So there's going to be a coming back around. Sure. That's, which could be what he's talking about here, especially in 26. That's exactly right. Where he says all of Israel. So here's a simplistic question. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> so the Jews are the chosen people, always have been. No, the Hebrews are the chosen people. The Jews, a segment of them certainly are, yes. Okay, so... If we were not born a Jew, could we not convert to Judaism and become a chosen? You do, and there were lots of people who were uh, grafted in. Ruth and Naomi are a good example, but others would be Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, both of whom are only half Hebraic. Their, uh, Joseph's wife was an Egyptian. Uh -huh. So, so you've you've got you got the the grafting back in. Okay, and so that makes them chosen mm -hmm. by by converting, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You get you get well, their descendants are because they are grafted in. They become part of the stream. So why wouldn't everybody's desire not be to become a Jew? That's what the so Jewish Christians Jewish thought Jewish the person. purpose of this was. <laughs> That's what they thought the purpose of this was. The Jewish Christian understanding, based on everything that we know about what they have written and what they did, the Jewish Christian understanding was Christ opens, the, uh, opens Israel to all the world. Uh -huh. And therefore, all the world can come in and be Jews. They had a narrowly defined understanding of what it meant to be the Israel of God. Whereas 
Paul's understanding was, quite frankly, a whole lot broader. That being Israel of God meant being identified as God's children, living in a relationship with God, a relationship of faith characterized by God's grace. That's what it means, i.e., Abraham, to be, to be like Abraham, to live a life like Abraham and Sarah lived. Yes, they screwed up, but in the end they exercised faith. And it was that faith that, it, that he identifies as the characteristic of the relationship, typified by grace, empowered actually by grace. And that is how Paul understood it. Whereas the Jewish Christians were squeezing it in narrowly into a stream of Judaistic, Pharisaic relationship, i.e. the law and understanding the law and abiding by the Mosaic Covenant is what it means to be a child of God. Whereas Paul was opening it up and saying it's the relationship of faith the Jewish Christians were saying faith as exemplified and exercised in obedience to the law as we have determined it. Okay. And that's pretty much how it is today still, right? Yes and no, because Jews have, except for this narrow period of time, for the most part, Jews have not been a, a religion that proselytizes, that i.e. tries to make converts. And, I mean, if you wanted to come in and be one of them, great. They were happy to receive you. Mm -hmm. Men, you got to get circumcised. Women got to cook and kosher, make kosher clothing. But, you know, otherwise, you're welcome to come and intermarry with us and live as us and abide by the law. You're welcome. But, you know, you they might be looked down upon. Huh? They don't, they don't make an effort to recruit. They, they, they really didn't. Um, that, with the exception of this period when Jewish Christianity existed with, as a sect or a denomination of Judaism. It's still on today. No, it's still on today, with a few exceptions. There are some elements of the Jewish community that will attempt to convert you, but it's, they're very rare and far between, and they're usually Messianic Jews who are doing it. But, because they do still exist. But we're in. I mean, we're... This was the start of the Judeo-Christian tradition of which we are a part. We are we are we are we are Jewish to a certain extent. We, we know all this stuff. We know who Abraham and Rachel. And we have we have as Paul would say, we have Abraham as our spiritual father, because Abraham lived by faith, trusting in God that God will fulfill God's promises. We have the same type of life to live, focused on Christ Jesus and what He did. And Jesus was was a Jew. So, I mean, yes, absolutely. It's not, Paul never repudiated the Jewish Hebraic history. He simply opened it up broader, all right? And identified the purpose of the law as something different than the Jewish Christian <coughs> community did. They viewed the law as the way one would live, what should live. Paul viewed the law as the teacher that shows us that we need to live by Christ, by faith in Christ, because we can't obey the law. He did. He brings it to fruition. Therefore, we live following him. That's a difference in focus, but it's still a recognition of the principal importance of the Hebraic and Jewish background within, within the faith. 
It's there, absolutely. It's not a repudiation of that. It sounds like the Protestant churches that um, have a lot of rules and don't consider you baptized unless you're fully immersed and think, little things like, like that. Like Baptist? <laughs> Something of that nature. Yes. Yeah, like, uh, there's one. Yes. Uh, it sounds like they're closer to the Jews. They are very, no. Than they're closer to the Pharisaic, Pharisaic. Jewish Christian they're experience. They're out there recruiting. Pharisaic Jewish they establish yeah. a set of rules and regulations that is, in their opinion, a close approximation to what God wants, and you better do it that way. Quite frankly, in all honesty, we all do that to some extent. Mm -hmm. we, we really do. If we didn't, there wouldn't be so many. There would be a Christian faith. It would be the way we'd all be together. The extent to which we can recognize, even beyond denominations, the Christianity of our sisters and brothers in other churches, <clears throat> to that extent, we are doing a better job of expressing without those boundaries. But they still exist. They do still exist. Mm -hmm. But they may not be as highly compressed or obvious or obnoxious. <laughs> As, as in other examples of it. Now, before, I, before we get away from it, I do want to say this. What about that idea, what about that issue the, the throughout history, biblical Israel has had multiple different identifications, both historical and literal and metaphorical and theological. The historical Israel split uh, north and south. The southern part became known as Judah. The northern part received the lion's share of the promises and, and became known as Israel and then was went into apostasy and worshipped the Assyrian gods and were deported in the 700s BC by the Assyrians and quote-unquote disappear. Um, they are Israel. They're part of Israel. According to what Paul says here, by ancestral heritage, they should have. They should be back within Israel and recognized, if Hosea was correct, recognized as sons and daughters of God. There are lots of ways to understand that. There are lots of different theories as to who and what Israel is. Interesting study was done that identified, asked the question: Is it possible? for someone who lives in Mongolia, let us say, to have within them a certain tiny percentage of ancestry that's traceable back to some of them, quote unquote, lost ten tribes. Those tribes were resettled in the crossroads highway section of the ancient Near East. They were settled along the border between Assyria and the Eratian kingdom, and that in modern-day location is Armenia and Azerbaijan, southern Russia, between what is now Iran, Iraq, and Azerbaijan, southern Soviet Union, former Soviet Union. And through there, going west, east, and north, and east and west, were multiple waves of marauding groups, armies, relocations due to all sorts of reasons. Large groups of them went west like the Scythians. Large groups went east uh, like the uh, Cathars. 
large groups went south and east into India and further east into China, intermixing, intermarrying, raping and pillaging as they went. I mean, there was a lot of sharing of DNA in the ancient world. And so they have done genetic studies of people. And with the exception of Native Americans, they've identified Hebraic elements in the genetic code of every single population group, known population group on the planet, with the exception of Native Americans. Cool. <laughs> cool. Will that include Hawaiians? Yeah. Yes, Polynesian ancestry. Yes, sir. So there you they, go. They walked made it all the way across the South We're Pacific. We're all a bunch of Jews anyway. Into so. Polynesian. No, no, not, not Jews. Hebrews. Hebrews. The Northern Kingdom would not, that would be fighting words. But between, <laughs> 700, Some of the Jews. between 740 BC and 2000 AD, in that 2,700-year period, they have determined that there has been a, such a distribution that you can identify Hebraic genetic markers, even in Sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. So we're all chosen anyway. Except for the Indians, and that's to what the Native so bad. <laughs> Well, Mormons think that they are Israel, but that's another argument. That's another argument. That's C. I'm on B. But today, it's almost impossible to find any Native American group that hasn't been so intermixed. Oh yeah. With with European ancestry. Because of all of the rape and pillage. Yeah. Destruction of Native culture. We call, we call all the Mexicans. So, oh gosh. Somebody shoot Indian. So, European, you said it. But that's my part of my point. Now, what is the, the what is the most widely dispersed religion on the planet? Huh? Oh, religion, Christianity, Christianity in, in all of its varieties, from Roman Catholic to Baptist and Church of Christ and everything in between. It is the largest, still, religion on the planet. And most of those who are Muslims today were Christians before. Or one of various forms of pagans or Jews. So it, it, it's interesting to note that, that on both grounds, this is true. Now, of course, there are people who say, well, yeah, but the preponderance of genetic markers for the Hebrews are located in Europe. And that's true. The most of our ancestry is European. The preponderance of Hebraic markers that would have belonged to that northern kingdom and could have only been filtered through that dis distribution of people. The preponderance of those markers are found in the Germanic tribes of northern Europe. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? The people who have them have more of them? It means that in their genetic code, there's a greater preponderance of Hebraic genetic markers than in any other population group on the planet except for Jews themselves. And 
it's interesting that the people that the Germans who tried yeah, to Germans who tried to yeah, yeah. obliterate yeah. the Jews are themselves the descendant in rather large percentage from the people who traveled through those regions. The Scythians are the ancestors of the Germanic tribes. We know that historically. And they traveled through that very region at the exact same time that the northern kingdom was deported there. Hey, holy crap, Jesus was really blonde and blue-eyed after all. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not. We've been all this, all this propaganda. That's not one of the Hebraic markers. <laughs> I, well, because he's you Jewish, told me the preponderance of those markers are there. Reflected, had brown hair. A larger We've been accepting that propaganda. Eyes. percentage of the really population. No, no. A larger. How many genetic do you have? I don't know what the figures are. All I know is, is when they did a planet-wide distribution, the it was a thicker number of, of genetic markers were in the population groups that either come from or are found in northern, central, and western Europe. In the northern regions, mostly the people who are descendants from the Scythian barbarian tribes uh, who moved into that region in the fourth and third centuries BC and became the ancestors of the, of the Germans and the Angles and the Saxons, the Picts and the Scots and several other tribal groups that, uh, that many of us are descended from. We don't from. know where Hitler's, where Hitler's mother came from. Hitler, Hitler was an Austrian, but he was ancestry yeah. was German. He was Austrian, that's right. Would, he would have been horrified to find out that of all, except for the Jews, of the population groups on the planet, the northern European population groups have the larger preponderance of Hebrew genetic markers in their system. It's not a humongous number, but it's of, the, of all of the distributed across the planet, it's the thickest there. And I don't know what all of them indicate, but there are the studies show, these studies were done in the early part of the 20th century, 21st century, within the last seven or eight yeah. years. There's a lot of diseases that are specific. Most, to of, them are, most of the markers do are identifiable relative to diseases that affect Exactly. That's how they found out. That everything. is correct. This was on, I saw this on Channel 13 on a program on NOVA, and then there was another program on the Discovery Channel that dealt with it, where they tracked population group spread. Where do the population groups, groups come from? Like one of the greatest shocking discoveries was that much of the southern uh, Native American tribes along the coast of the Inca Empire area actually are in part descended from uh, really early uh, transportation across the South Pacific, not from the north. <laughs> so they went all the way across. The I knew they were Hawaiians. But that predates 720 BC. <laughs> that predates 720 BC. So oh. you don't have a mix there. Gotcha. But the but you know, we were a pretty transitory population for 2,700 years, and it and it managed that they spread. Even in Mongolia, there are a small number of genetic markers that have Hebraic ancestry, and that's based upon. Genetic codes is determined, established by a cross-section of modern Hebrew populations, especially those that have been present within the Middle East for the majority of the last 2,000 years. 
Yeah, I remember when Discovery showed that and they had them in the little huts out there. And the, mm -hmm. the art, it looked very frozen. This, look at yeah. this, this, how, what is the, what, is, what are the, what are the generations removed between King David and this Eskimo was how it started. <laughs> You'll be surprised to find out that there, that this Eskimo genetically is a descendant of the same people as King David. That was, that was, that and that, like that's, that, and that was a fascinating <laughs> thing, and it caught my attention. Like that. Yeah. But that, that was true for that Eskimo in farther, yeah. you know, north uh, uh, Siberia. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's true, people all across the Europe and Asia, India, the Middle East, a large number of those figures are found in Iraq still today. But it's a higher figure outside. Uh, that's an interesting little side note. Yeah, that's yeah. Sure. <clears throat> when he says the full number of Gentiles have to come in, right? <clears throat> the notes down here say the full number of Gentiles may mean the elect from the Gentiles, and all Israel may mean all the elect, all the elect. That's the idea that I was saying, that Israel in a metaphorical sense means all the chosen people of God, Jews and Gentiles. Yes. What are you talking about? Number. Full number. Um, I don't think you can actually put, you know, 2,747,000. I don't think you can do that. Uh, but I think it means the total, the total number of them, however many there will be. Now, one interpretation of that is, is that that's everybody. The full number means everybody. Okay. Hundred forty-four thousand, but it's at a minimum. Those this is messed up with zeros. Well, yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> absolutely. It says the elect. Could it mean those people chosen by God to be saved? Chicken or egg? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I would say yes. In, in exactly the sense that chosen by God based on God's foreknowledge, and that foreknowledge is of those who exercise faith. You could, could you exercise faith and not be chosen? Axiomatic identification. If you exercise faith in God, you are chosen. I thought previous we had said that they were chosen, or Paul said, God would, it wasn't up to you, it was up to God whether you were chosen. And God's determination was that he, that God would choose only those who exercise faith. Or was that the condition? That was the con God's is God's election is predicated on God's foreknowledge based upon, determined by. And that foreknowledge is of those who have faith. Okay. So if it's based on God's foreknowledge of those who have faith, then God selects those who have faith. It becomes a good question of what came first, the chicken or the egg. For Paul, that wasn't an issue because Paul functioned with a timeless conception. The punctiliar time idea that I talked about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The punctiliar time idea. That temporality is a human plague. 
more than anything else. But going back to your description of, uh, of Israel, the northern kingdom, okay. the dispersion, mm -hmm. when we read Gentiles in Paul's time and now, mm -hmm. a good portion of those Gentiles are those original Israelites. Uh, yeah. At least to it's a degree. It's so confusing because you've got the Old Testament, the, Gentile, the Northern Kingdom, the, known as Israel. Hey, we're all not known as Israel, Israel. Sounds like called Gentiles, and now we've got an Israel which, state, which is the Jews. Exactly. <laughs> but no That's why we get confused. Mm -hmm. The amazing thing is, is that the Goyim, whom the Jews so disliked, and the Goyim has so disliked Jews, are actually in many ways related. Absolutely, yeah. And at least at least to some, de some degree, maybe minimal, but it's there. And I find that both ironic and amazing. And that then we have a faith that is rooted in Jewish, Hebrew, scripture and faith, and articulated in Greek, Gentile philosophical terms, the Greek language, in the New Testament is amazing. That's amazing to me. That means that uh, uh, the vehicle that would be most successful in transmitting this faith that could have been so easily kept tiny was available at the exact moment it needed to be there. And somebody like Paul was there to, to carry it forward. And I find it amazing that he spent 10 chapters talking to Jewish Christians, mostly. The Gentile Christians are certainly listening along, going, yeah, get it, get it, get us. And then he turns and says, finally, for half a chapter to these Gentile Christians, don't get too puffed up. They were chopped off so you could be added in, but you might get chopped off yourself if you don't stand in faith. They will be added back in. It's interesting that he references back to Hosea and brings in Israel to remind us that you know that Old Testament is not like forgotten and null and void in God's in God's mind. That there's a group of people, your half brothers, your sisters. They were called sisters, sure. the southern tribe and the northern tribe. Those That's sisters, right. you know, are part of this all of Israel. Now they they are. Then you've got Paul, who is accused of denigrating and throwing away the Jews and denigrating and throwing away the Hebrew scriptures spends a, a, an inordinate amount of time quoting from them. I, I, I'm sure he was struck by the irony of, it, of the charges that were leveled against him repeatedly. I mean, he must have flabbergasted him to hear, hear his brothers in the Jewish faith say that he had rejected Israel when in fact he never did. He never did. Let's at least get a little bit into chapter 12 before they come get me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, right there we got a problem, because does anybody have any translation other than spiritual worship there in verse 1? Your rational divine service. The word, exactly, the word is... Logikane, from which we get the word logical. So it could be translated, which is your logical order of worship. Hmm. <laughs> that sounds Greek. That sounds Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
Uh, why they translate this in so many versions, spiritual, and in it's rational or logical in the Greek. This one says a living sacrifice, dedicated and fit for his acceptance, the worship offered by mind and heart. By mind and heart. That's how they're translating that. By mind and heart. That's your logical in now that's fascinating because that does work that's how they here. Get to spiritual. That's how, but yeah, they probably get to spiritual through that. Uh, I, I wouldn't translate that spiritual, but it does sound weird to say, "Holy and acceptable to God," which is your logical <laughs> worship, um, except that it is the worship that follows from. That 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 follows from this. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The transforming, the metamorphosis. The, the word in Greek here is the word from which we get metamorphosis. Metamorphosethe. Uh, by the renewing or transforming of your... Uh, uh, let me read it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the transforming of your minds. Be changed by the changing of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is by... Be transforming yourselves by the renewing of your minds. Mm -hmm. Renewing. It's another possible way of saying that. So that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Any other translation than perfect? Perfect will. Perfect will. The will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word in Greek is teleon, the same word as end or completion or wholeness, total, totalness. What is the good and acceptable and complete? Might be another translation than just perfect. Uh, the, the Greek, the Greco conception of perfection is that of that which is complete, that which is whole. That which is whole or complete is perfect. That doesn't mean that it doesn't need to continue to grow or to change or to become more perfect. In fact, that's a concept that sounds weird in English, but it's true in Greek. You can become more perfect because you become, become more complete by growing. But you can be complete at almost any point. That's one of the problems when you're dealing with this. We think of perfection as without sin, and that is a concept. But here, and in the Greco world, the Greek world, perfection was more of a completion, to be complete, to be whole. And if you are whole, you are perfect. And who did they think was whole? Well, they knew that Christ is whole. And the reason why they say humans could become like Christ, i.e. perfect, is because humans become, become whole with Christ. It's kind of added in. That's 100% plus. Mm -hmm. 100% keeps growing. The pro yes. The problem with that is, is that we often have a difficulty maintaining that wholeness with Christ. Sure. And hence, we become not perfect. <laughs> But you can have momentary experiences of that teleos, that completion, that end. 
I have one interesting translation that mm-hmm. says, but let God remold your minds from within. In other words, it's, I don't know where it's getting it, but it's showing not only the remolding, but it's showing where is the source of the remolding mm-hmm. yeah. from God from within, not yourself. Do you know where he's getting that? Well, he's pulling that from that is the will of God so that you may discern what is the will of God, that molding, that renewing. Uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind's conception. That's not something that you're doing. The transforming is acting upon us. We are passive here. Transforming is active. It is acting upon us and upon our minds, our noose. What's that song, Remold and Make Me Like Thee? Mold me and make me after thy will. No, no. remold and make me like thee divine. I gave him space. That's right. That's okay. right. That's it. Who, who wrote that? Um, no. That's exactly what this is saying. Isn't it? It's not asking. It's not saying I'm going to remold. I'm trying. Now, now you're making me trying to think of the song. Oh, your wife's the one that knows all the songs. I can't remember it now. Um, but no, that's uh, perfect. The, the, though that what you were asking that be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You're not renewing and you're not doing the transform. You are being transformed. That it's acting upon you. Who is the actor? Therefore, has to be God has to be God. That's understood. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. What's Paul doing? He's done with the earlier arguments that we spent now uh, 11 chapters on. He's now moved on into exhortations, Mm -hmm. into general advice, and more than that, as we will discover, he's actually moving into citations for the teachings of Jesus. Can I ask a question about verse 3? The latter part of that, this particular verse says, As unto each one God hath dealt a measure of faith. Where? At the end of verse 3, this version says, but... Mm -hmm. After it says, but so to think, as to think soberly, as unto each one God hath dealt a measure of faith. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Right. So would you say that, could that be understood as every person in this world has been given a measure of faith? Or is he specifically teaching, is he specifically speaking to those people who have been um, called? Well, faith is a gift of God's prevenience. God's grace that is prevenient in us comes from the cross. Each according to the measure of faith, the metron pistuos, the measure of faith that God has assigned. God gives a measure of faith to each person. So every person who is ever born gets a measure of faith? Yes. Because that, while it's not a natural thing that we have, it does go to whole, the whole world. It's part of that nature of grace that is uh, uh, irresistible. Well, that would show why he knows 
He has all that foreknowledge because he's the one that gave it to you in the first place. And no. That's what it's saying. He gave you the faith, but but the question is, do you exercise it? Obviously, not everybody does. Right. If he gives you the measure of faith, maybe he didn't give you enough measure, and that's why you're not exercising it. Then you're blaming God for your. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that. Well, then he shouldn't have put measure in here, should he? If I would say, if you want to have faith in God, then you have enough faith to have faith in God. You have been measured to you enough to do it. But he knew beforehand how much faith I would have. He just told me. But that he I, also you, knew that because of our free will, certain people, some people don't need as much of that. Oh, so the ones that need more, he gives more to. <clears throat> except for the ones that don't accept. Yeah. Well, he didn't give enough. That's right. No. <laughs> no, I was just leaving you down <laughs> the path. I was leaving you down the path. I'm sorry. I was waiting for Each the report. According to the, faith, the measure of faith that God has assigned. Uh-huh. God assigns God. Well, they haven't come to get me yet. God assigned. God gives faith that we need to the measure that we need. If you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to have faith in God, then you have enough faith to do it. You may not have enough will, and that becomes your problem. Free will things he's talking about. The misuse of will yeah. is what you're talking about there. And, and But you have enough faith. The question is, are you going to exercise it? So That's the problem. Pharaoh and Hitler were all given a measure of faith. At some point, At some point in point. their life, they must have received the necessary measure of faith and they reject it. You have been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2009 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal all rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.